we arrived home from the beach, and it had been the usual British beach experience, which is not like here. It means cold water, blustery winds, windbreakers, and also changing on the beach, which for a 10-year-old boy is utterly embarrassing. And so we'd spent lots of time in the rock pools and a lot of time running in and out of the waves. We sat down for lunch and ate our sandwiches, which always used to make us laugh because they very much were sandwiches by that time that we ate them. Yeah. So hours later, we arrived home. We could still taste the salt on our tongues, and our hair was sticky with the salt. We were exhausted, and we felt like our skin had grown an extra layer of saline, really dry and really almost white. And then we discovered that that sand that had been on the beach was now everywhere on us, in the ear, under the armpit, at the roots of the hair, in between the toes. And for days afterwards, I was reminded of our trip to the beach as yet one more tiny piece of weathered rock dropped to the floor. And for days, I was reminded that comfort is something that we take for granted, but when it's absent, we long for it to return. Thanks to tiny little bits of sand, I discovered that I place a high value on my personal comfort. And for the least perceptive of us, we, even we w- will have realized that over the past little while, there's been a trend that has permeated modern and postmodern life. It's in all the adverts. You want to get the most comfortable shave and the most comfortable pillow, the most comfortable mattress, the most comfortable shoes, the most comfortable car, the most comfortable airline, and the most comfortable toilet paper. John Wesley, after whom we are named, wrote his sermons on horseback as he traversed the United Kingdom. Can you imagine that? But I write my sermons in the comfort of an air-conditioned office. The missionary Gladys Aylward traveled through Russia and Japan at considerable risk to herself to get to her mission field. And when I was a missionary, I started to get fidgety if my layover was more than a few hours and there was no internet. Vladimir Putin said, our aims are absolutely clear. They are a high living standard in the country and a secure, free, and comfortable life. A secure, free, and comfortable life. We are chasing after convenience and comfort like a thirsty man is chasing an ice cream van in the wilderness. Meanwhile, our sense of dissatisfaction builds and builds because we were created in such a way that mere comfort will never satisfy us. Yet, I propose that each of us has, re- has received a divine call to live exactly that, a comfortable life. We are designed to be comfortable. I would go as far as to say that as long as we're not comfortable, we're missing that for which we've been created. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6. 
And while you're turning to it, let me pray. Lord, I thank you for uh, your Bible, Lord, that uh, men wrote a long, long time ago. And yet you breathed your, your life into these words. Lord, it is your word. It is inspired. And we need it, Lord. And so we ask that you breathe life into our lives through the word which we hear here today. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6. Uh, actually, I'll start at verse 5. It says this, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. So Paul had been growing a church in Corinth over a number of years, and he planted it in about 50 AD. But about five years later, he heard that the church was experiencing moral problems, including a man sleeping with his mother-in-law. And so some of the church had got in touch with Paul to seek his counsel. Uh, and so he wrote the book First Corinthians, which is a letter. And he wrote this in response, but he was ignored. And the situation in Corinth got even worse. And so over various visits and through various letters, Paul sought to reestablish his authority as apostle in this church as well as restore this relationship with this church that was in danger of shipwreck. Paul eventually received news of a change of heart within the church. And so in 2 Corinthians, where our passage is today, we meet a Paul who had heard the good news. But it was still tough. And this relationship still continued to break Paul's heart. And so as we read 2 Corinthians, we, we meet a Paul who was discouraged, who was downcast, and we've all been there. We know what that's like. And some of us are there now, feeling downcast, feeling discouraged. I started this message with a brief insight into how this world is chasing comfort. And then I propose that God actually desires us to live a comfortable life. It's in his plan and purpose for us. He created us to be comfortable. And I hope you realize by now that this was a bit of a play on words. Because God does not desire us to live lives free from pain or to idolize comfort. But he does desire us to live lives that are able to comfort, that are comfort able. He does not want us to seek comfort for ourselves, but to seek to comfort others. And this means walking around with our eyes open and our hearts in tune with God's as much as we're able. Because if we're too self-absorbed, we will miss those whom we're called to comfort. And the irony is, of course, that the more we're willing to be able to comfort others, the less comfortable we will be ourselves. Self-focused comfort says, I will be happy when I'm comfortable. And if you're watching 
TV and there's something under your bum, then you're going to move it so that you can sit comfortably. So that's what self, self-focused comfort says. I will be happy when I'm comfort, comfortable, and we will remove that or add that into our life that makes us comfortable. But comfort that's focused on others says, I will be joyful regardless of the circumstances around me. Self-focused comfort is self-defeating, as there is always something that's softer or better or more ergonomic. But biblical comfort is self-forgetful, as it seeks the true comfort of others. Self-focused comfort has me at the center of my known universe, but biblical comfort can say along with Paul in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 4, I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. This is how Paul defines comfort, being able to overflow with joy in the face of affliction. And, and how Job, Job described comfort, even though his friends could only comfort him with empty words, and even though he stared lost like we will never know in the eye, he could say in Job chapter 19, for I know that my Redeemer lives And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. I was standing at the front of the funeral home with my guitar in hand a number of years ago, and I started to sing the song Freebird by Leonard Skinner. And I sang, If I leave here tomorrow, would you still remember me? For I must be traveling on now, because there's too many places I've got to see. And at this funeral for this young man who committed suicide, I was overcome by the tragic irony of this song that I had been requested to sing. The idea that he had been set free by this most haunting of circumstances. Because it wasn't true. And there was little comfort that we could have in that funeral home on that day. And the funeral ended, and the family received the the line of weeping school friends and family. And there was a phrase that I heard over and over again on that day, which was, my condolences, our condolences. And when someone says, my condolence, what what they mean is, my heart goes out to you, or I'm so sorry. And many times we say it at funerals because it's the thing to say and because, frankly, we don't know what else to say. But literally, the condola is saying, I share your pain. You are not alone in your pain. Condolence literally means to suffer with. Now, imagine with me, The God of the universe saying to you and to me and to everyone who's ever lived, my condolences. I share in your pain. I know what it's like. Condolence is a powerful word and because to be a true condoler means to place yourself in a position of extreme influence. Comfort is a powerful word. 
And so even though modern life has robbed the word comfort of its depth and they've kind of replaced it with a plastic disposable version, its deeper meaning of this word comfort can give us a glimpse into the heart of God. So, so let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. It says this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Okay, and at this point, I want you to engage your brain because you have to trace what he's saying. Okay, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. This God of all comfort comforts us in our afflictions so that we can comfort those who are in any affliction. That we have afflictions is, is presumed. Life is hard, but in Christ, we can find purpose in our affliction that leads to a glorious result. And this glorious result is this, that we can comfort others in their affliction with the comfort that we have received. So this very same comfort that we receive from the Holy Spirit we can pass on to others. This very comfort that we've received from Christ's hands himself, we can pass on to others. And it doesn't pass through our kidneys that absorbs and keeps all the good stuff while only passing on the unwanted leftovers. It does not water down as it passes through us. In Christ, the comfort that we pass on is as pure as the comfort that we first received. And as we receive comfort from another brother or sister, we can receive it as crystal clear mountain water from Zion itself. It's pure, it's fresh, and it gives life. But what is this comfort? It's not about getting a softer seat for your rear end. And it's not about wrapping yourself in a warm spiritual blanket and hiding yourself away from the troubles of this world. It's not sanctified escapism. But neither is it standing in the face of reality and quoting Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you or your favorite verse until you've hypnotized yourself. The comfort is knowing that there is a God who knows, who cares, who understands, and who can uniquely say, I know exactly what you're going through. This comfort is found in reading the Bible and applying it to your life. It's it's allowing God to have the final word on your situation and not your situation to have the final word on God. This comfort is grounded in the experience of a man of sorrows who is acquainted with grief, who, who has taken care of our greatest problem as he was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And this comfort is two things. Number one, it is sufficient. It's enough. It is all that we'll ever need because Christ has outsuffered everyone who's ever lived. So this comfort that Christ offers is sufficient. It's enough. But it's not just enough and sufficient. It's personal. 
Because Christ allows this shared experience of suffering to create a connecting point with every person who has ever lived. Christ is the only one who can say to the suffering soul, I know what you're going through. Because he has perfect knowledge, as we read in Psalm 139, but also because anything that we've experienced pales when placed alongside his suffering. But our problem is that we don't believe that God understands, or if he understands, we don't believe that he cares. And why is this? Because we underestimate the anguish of the cross. Because the suffering that Christ experienced on the cross is so beyond us that we struggle to understand it. But those of us who've suffered more can perhaps appreciate more deeply what the cross cost Christ. There's this scene in Crocodile Dundee in which Mick Dundee and his lady friend are being mugged. And as the mugging is going on, Mick is urged by his lady friend to hand over his wallet. And he says, what for? And his incredulous friend responds with, well, he has a knife. And Mick quite calmly responds with the immortal lines, that's not a knife. That's a knife. As he pulls out his big Australian blade. And in his mercy and grace, Christ does not lord his suffering over us. You call that suffering? That's not suffering. This is suffering. He does not make our pain small simply because he suffered more. But neither does he reference his pain to blame us. Look at what happened to me because of you, because of your sin. And I remember watching Jaws when I was younger, and I remember that, that uh, feeling as the shark came closer and closer to the boat or the beach, and then the camera changed from being on top of the water to under the water. Then there was the confusion and the craziness and the frothing water and knowing that I could never go into water again without fear. But there's another scene in Jaws, which is the scene on the fishing boat where a couple of guys, which is the skipper and the hunter, are comparing scars. And they're a little worse for wear as one of them shows a scar that he's received, but not to be outdone, the other one shows his scar and tells the story behind it. And on and on the game goes, scar after scar, each one more extreme than the last one, and the story's becoming more animated as the wine flows. Well, imagine playing this game with Jesus, the game of scars. He would win every time. There's no one who could beat Jesus in a game of scars. We could touch his wrist holes or his ankle holes. We could run our fingers over his side, and we could be amazed at the physical suffering that he underwent. And yet the physical suffering he underwent was just the tip of the iceberg of the agony that he underwent. Because we cannot see, much less appreciate, the excruciating spiritual and mental agony that he endured on the cross as he was separated from the eternal union with the Father and the Spirit, the rejection and the isolation and the roar of judgment being afflicted mercilessly onto this perfect man. But the good news is that we do not need to be able to understand Christ's suffering in order to apply it to ourselves. We just need to believe and say thank you. And the hymn writer writes it like this, We may not know, we cannot tell what pains he had to bear, but we believe it was for us he hung and suffered there. 
And so this is what grace is. Rather than entering into a game of my pain is worse than yours, which, by the way, Jesus would always win, he instead uses the vulnerability he encountered on the cross to enter into our pain and to comfort us. Instead of comparing scars, he places a healing salve on our wounds. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says this, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. It was 2014 and we'd recently moved into our temporary accommodation in Shropshire, England. Our ship, the Logos Hope, was in dry dock in Singapore. And so I worked out of England for a few months And we'd already made a decision, Wendy and I, that the girls would be going to school during our time then, largely because neither of us wanted to homeschool them. So, uh, you know, that was the option. So they went to school. And so I drove the girls down to school with their school uniforms, because that's how we roll in the UK. We wear school uniforms. It's great. You should try it. Um, And with their school bags clutched proudly in their hands. And I said goodbye to Enya, and she walked around to her playground, and then Ariana and I were left waiting in her playground for the teacher to arrive, signifying the beginning of school. At this point, all the children in Ariana's class would line up and then file into class. So the teacher came out, and the children started to line up. So far, so good. But then I noticed that Ariana was a little bit quiet. And she wasn't moving towards the queue. And then I started to realize that something was amiss. And Ariana started to cry really loudly. She clutched onto my leg and she wouldn't let me go. She kept repeating, I don't want to go to school. I want to come home with you in a more and more frantic tone. Now you can imagine what was going on in my mind at that time. That this 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 thing that was waging inside me, that, that we'd moved her halfway across the world to yet another new, new place. We'd thrust her into this school, and I was at this point saying, okay, see you later. I have work that, I've, that, I, that I have to get done. But she's m- my daughter, and she was in anguish. And she should be going to school. School would be good for her. In 10 minutes, she wouldn't even remember this moment of upset and tears. But my own daughter is clinging to my leg and telling me clearly what she wants. And I have the power to grant her wish. But all I wanted to do was to gather her up in my arms, tell her everything was okay, and to take her home. And I had that power, but almost out of body. I see myself walking up to the teacher and teaching assistant prizing my daughter's hands away from my leg and handing her over to these strangers who've seen this all before. And as I walk away from Ariana, I can still hear the exact tone of voice with which she cried, Daddy! And then I walked around the corner to my car, shaking and feeling like the worst dad in the world. And I kept asking the question, did I do the right thing? So let's not forget that on the cross, 
It wasn't just Jesus who suffered. It was the Father and the Spirit too. They chose not to step in and comfort the Son as he was in excruciating agony. In fact, the origin of the word excruciating is, it literally means out of the cross, which means that the cross is the plumb line by which all other suffering is measured. And here in the midst of the suffering, we see this haunting image of this father not stepping in to intervene in the suffering of his his loved child. And as a father, this gives me pause for, for, for thought, because he is a father who chose to stand by and watch his son being inflicted with the worst punishment ever visited to anyone on earth. But in fact, it was worse, because it was the father himself who inflicted the punishment until his entire reservoir of wrath was exhausted. Every act of rebellion, every selfish thought, every lustful imagination, every act of sin visited from human to human was paid for in completion by Jesus on the cross by his Father, whose very name is Love. So what could possibly motivate three eternally wise and good persons to come up with a plan like this? Nothing but a torrential love for me and you. Now tell me that God does not care. Now tell me that God is not concerned. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my, my, my right is disregarded by my God? Romans 8 verse 32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So we comfort others with the comfort that we have received by introducing them to the God of the Bible, our God, who is the source of our comfort and the fount of every blessing. We, 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 we walk around prepared to tell our story to those who are willing to listen, who are broken and hungry and lost and hurt. This is how we comfort others with the comfort that we have received. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 6, which is our text, which we've already read, it, it says this, But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the com- coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was com- comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. And what we see here is that there is a cascade of comfort tripping down from level to level. God comforted the Corinthians. The Corinthians comforted Titus. Titus comforted Paul. But it's treated as one instance of comfort. They're all connections in a pipe or acts in a play. There is fluidity and oneness to it all that originates in God himself. So, if we could apply this principle to history, to your history, imagine the way that we could trace back this inheritance of comfort. We can trace our family tree back generations, but why not create a comfort tree? Let me give you a fictional example. This is Sandra. Sandra was in church, struggling with with aligning what she was hearing in the pulpit to her own life. 
And Amy noticed this. And she shared a verse with Sandra, which was the perfect verse at the perfect time. A few weeks later, Sandra was reading her Bible at work, and she noticed that her colleague Mary was feeling down. And so so Sandra pulled up her chair and opened her Bible and showed her the underlined passage that Amy had showed Sandra. And because of Sandra's comfort, Mary started to believe that perhaps there was a God who loved her, and eventually she started coming to church where she came to believe Jesus as her Lord and Savior. Her life changed, and her friends noticed. And when questioned, Mary had the opportunity to share the reason for the hope that she had within her. And Mike was intrigued because he'd seen the change. Maybe this was what he was looking for. Because this new age philosophy he was into wasn't really helping and he was quite sure that there actually was no secret God within him that he had yet to find, no matter how hard he looked. And besides, the drinking was only making things worse. Now understand this, Mike never met Amy. Yet he was starting to be comforted by the comfort with which she had been comforted. It flowed from Amy to Sandra to Mary, to Mike. So what's your lineage of comfort? Who are your spiritual forebears? Who's your great-grandfather in the faith? Years ago, I remember meeting a Chinese lady in the USA, and she was excited to meet me because I was from the same country uh, as Hudson Taylor, and I've shared this story here before, but it's a pertinent one. And Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China in the 1800s. And as we continued talking, I discovered that that the reason for her excitement in meeting me was because she was meeting, if you will, a fellow countryman of Hudson Taylor's. Her great-great-grandmother, and I forget how many greats there were, was converted through the ministry of Hudson Taylor. But now it was my turn to get excited because as Hudson Taylor had comforted others with the comfort with which he had been comforted, the impact was immense. Imagine being the person who led Hudson Taylor to Christ. Was not that a great investment? It would be like watching a trickling stream become a roaring torrent as it flows downhill. Now let's, let's go back to this fictitious account of Amy and Sandra and Mary and Mike. And if we take this and expand it until it fills the horizon of human history and church history, millions upon millions of people who've been comforting others with the comfort with which they have been comforted, and it can all be traced back to a singularity, the big bang of the Christian faith. And the big bang of the Christian faith, the singularity, is one man nailed to two pieces of wood, breathing out three words, it is finished. This man, Jesus Christ, was the one man who in the face of unbelievable suffering was denied any respite. In our suffering, we always have the empathy and presence of God, as well as comfort from friends from which we can draw But Jesus was condemned. He had no comfort. And he was condemned that we might be accepted. Last week, we we, we celebrated 
the coming of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. The Comforter has come, we sing in that hymn. And so Jesus said to his disciples, it's to your advantage that I go away. And as it was to their advantage by extension, it's also to our advantage. Because Christ, through the Holy Spirit, is in all of us. All of God is with all of us through the Holy Spirit. Think about that. All of God is with all of us through the Holy Spirit. God with us, Emmanuel. And Christ can empathize with every suffering that we experience, no matter the form, the intensity, or the magnitude, because he has outsuffered every single one of us. His capacity to understand, to, to care, and to empathize encompasses every atrocity that's ever been visited against every human that's ever lived. Try to wrap your head around that. He can empathize. He can understand it all. And as people who believe in Jesus, here are words that, we sh- that, that should re- reverberate through our very being. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Christ has placed this mantle on our shoulders. What an important package he has given us, his couriers to hand out. Can you feel the weight of that yoke on your shoulders as it presses down? As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And and Jesus has been sent by the Father to send us so that we can comfort others with the comfort with which we have been comforted. It's our responsibility to bear, to be the sent ones. But we aren't just sent. Because in John chapter 20, verse 12, a few verses before that verse I just read, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you, a few, a few verses before that, Jesus says this, peace be with you. And so Jesus is forwards, so I send you. This is our call to action. But peace be with you, these other four words, is our reminder of his presence. So Jesus gives us this, this courier package. And so we fit our, our feet with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And so we go into the city, we go into the workplace, we go into the home, we go into the supermarket so that we can bring this most important message to those who most need to receive it. And this package contains a letter of love from our heavenly king. It contains an escape plan from the destruction ahead. This package was assembled by fatherly hands that flung the stars into space. And this package was wrapped and addressed by the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. And we are the couriers. We are those who comfort those with the comfort with which we have been comforted. We are the ones who can say, I may not understand, but I know someone who does. I may not be able to empathize, but I know one who can more than empathize. I can point you to a friend whose faithful love is more than all the world to me, whose love is higher than the heights, of love, uh, heights above and, who's, who, and deeper than the soundless sea. We can point to the one whose love is closer than a brother, who has breathed this air and felt this pain and is the only one who can say, I understand and I can do something about it. So at this moment of being uncomfortable, we will discover that we are comfort 
able. Able to comfort those in the need of comfort, both within the church and outside the church. We will find that we can comfort others with the comfort with which we have been comforted. We can introduce the, 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 comf- the comfortless, as 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 says, to the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And at that moment, I believe that we, we will discover the joy of comforting our brothers and sisters and the lost world with the comfort with which we have been comforted. We can show a world that's vainly chasing the lie of a comfortable life that ultimate comfort is ours as we embrace the call that Christ has placed on our lives. And let me close by reading 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 to 7. We've already read it, but let's hear it again. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Let's pray.